I have one verse before us today, one verse, and uh, it is a, a familiar verse to many of you. In fact, a lot of you would have memorized this verse as children if you grew up in the church. Um, if you have not yet memorized Romans chapter 6, verse 23, my goal is by the end of this sermon to have shown it to you so many times that you may have it memorized. That's, my, that's one of my subversive goals here today. We're going to read this over and over. But memorize this verse. This is a gospel summary verse. It is worthy of a full sermon. I titled this sermon, The Paycheck of Death or the Free Gift of Life. The Paycheck of Death or the Free Gift of Life. And um, Lord, lead us on now as we dive into your word together. We, we love that you have given us this revelation. Help us glory in the gospel and delight in your son. Lead us on now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with the very first word in this verse. Let's read the whole thing. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, I, I remember as a little guy memorizing this verse, along with others in the book of Romans especially, and it just captures so much of the gospel. There's good news in this, but there's also bad news that has to be dealt with and addressed. And the focal point of salvation, obviously, is always in Scripture, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's start with the first word, for, the context here. This establishes for us that the handoff from what we've previously studied a few weeks back, okay? So the context, and I was struck by this, Oftentimes, we think of this verse in evangelistic moments, which it's entirely appropriate, right? This is a very wonderful evangelistic verse to share with people. But it's also significant that it finds itself at home in Paul's mind in Romans 6, which is in the category of sanctification. That, that is to believers, okay? So look at how this hands off here. Four. Four. Anytime you see that in your Bible, you know that there is work being done to connect a thought that's previously been spoken. This is a, the, a, a because word or a, an argument that's being presented by Paul, and he is giving a basis or a reason, a motivation here for what he has previously said. He's building it out. So it would serve us to then go back and understand what is Paul referring to, because it's been a few weeks since we've been there. So let's back up to Romans 6. Chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. Paul says, for, and that, see, you see how Paul does that? You can, you can read Romans backwards if you start at the end. It, it almost just chains you all the way back to the very beginning because that's, that's what he does. He's a genius. For the death he died, that is Jesus, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. There's a pattern for us in this. So you also, as Christ is doing this, so you also, Christian, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. As he lives, we live. And we live out of his life. We live in him as we walk in this earth. So Romans 6 is set on what does it look like to live out the gospel? That's sanctification. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then the call, let not sin therefore reign 
in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That's what we used to do. B.C., before Christ, before He saved us, we were sinners wholeheartedly, heartfelt, all in on sin, but no more. That has radically shifted. It's changed. We have a new heart. We have new affections. God has called us out of the dark and into the light. Okay, he goes on in uh, verses 20 to 22. For when you were slaves of sin, that's before we were saved, you were free in regard to righteousness. That is, you didn't have any, right? You weren't living for righteousness. You were living for sin. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So here's when Paul says it the first time. The wages of sin is death. He's going to say it differently for us in 23, but he's already said this. He wants to emphasize the point. If you live for sin, you die. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit or the implication, the effect that you get leads to sanctification or greater holiness, refinement in this life, to be more in line with the character of Christ, to be more like Jesus. And its end, eternal life. Do you see why he sums it up in verse 23? And then he says this, for the wages, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, I love that. The, the New International Version, the NIV, leaves out that word free. That word free is important. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hmm. This is a reason, a motivation, a warning. Paul is calling, specifically here in this context, believers to holy obedience. Now, you may ask the question, why would he warn them in this way? Why would he say that, that, that sin is death? The wages of sin is death. Why warn believers? This is a really important question to ask. There are people who, who draw all kinds of errant theology because they can't answer this question correctly. If you read the book of Hebrews and you don't rightly answer this question, you will wrongly interpret almost the entire book. Why warn believers? What's the value of Paul speaking to believers in Rome and saying, listen, don't live for sin or you will die. And when he says die, he means perish, as in John 3.16, perish, right? In hell. Listen to what Jesus himself said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. There's a huge difference now between those who wear the label Christian and those whose lives display the confirmation of their claim. You see the difference? You can walk into church and do Christian things. You can stand and sit. You can sing. You can even convince many people, even yourself, that you're a Christian. And you can walk out the door and Monday through Saturday denies everything that you've convinced yourself that you are. This is why it's right to warn the church, believers as it were, because there are some who think they are saved and in fact are not saved. There are some, in fact, Many 
On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and cast out demons in your name and and do many mighty works in your name? Then Jesus says, I will declare them to them. I never knew you. Depart from me. And then this this is the epitome of it. Workers of lawlessness. You may have a show. You may have a, a front on the building that's impressive. And you may, you may even get a following. You might even have a whole church that you preach to. And they think, wow, this guy is just filled with the Spirit. And he's just doing all this stuff. None of that matters. It is not the praise of men that makes the Christian secure and assured. It is the gospel embraced wholeheartedly with reckless abandon. I am all in, Lord Jesus. Lead on. I will obey you. I will follow you. No turning back. Let's go. General Jesus, be my commander-in-chief. Right? Sit on the throne of my heart. What you say, I will do. What you command, I will delight in. And seek to obey perfectly no as we have just experienced communally confessing together the gospel is not a one-time event it's every day in fact romans 7 is coming up right that's the whole point we're going to get to that it's not a perfect display it's progressive though in its desire in its delight in its pursuit of obedience and holiness may by the grace of god may there be no one in this room who hears these words from King Jesus on that day. Pay attention, believers. Listen. Be warned. Don't play games with Jesus. Don't think that you can put on a facade on Sunday and live cold-heartedly before your King the rest of your life. He's not impressed with that. He sees right through it. Love Him with all your heart all the days of your life. Hmm. A true love of Christ will lead to an ever-increasing love for holiness in this life. Right? It's not going to happen overnight. Right? The the people who are are saved, it's all of a sudden, you, you have this life, you have this new heart, you have this new delight in God's Word, and you begin to read and you say, oh, wow, I have things in my life that don't line up with this book. I have, I have things that I love that don't square with following Christ. And so you begin to go to work. And really, it's, it's as we've said in previous weeks, you make war on sin in your life. What once was normal is now offensive to the, to, to the instinct of your, 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 your scriptures as you read and, and, and the application of, of God's word as it lives in your mind. You are transformed little by little to be like Christ. That's the call. Live for the world or live for Christ. That's really what we're looking at here, isn't it? There are two very different outcomes to to two very different paths or ways of living. Paul wants to show one way leads to death. That is the easy road. Broad is that way. Wide is the the applause and and, and the welcome of the world. Come on down this road. 
We're all together in this. But narrow is the path that leads to life. Walk that road, Christian. Tenaciously. Depending upon the Gospel every step. Confessing your sin. Call it what it is. Agree with God. This is wrong. It's sin. I hate it. Help me hate it like you hate it. I confess it. I lay it down. Thank you for the Gospel. Thank you for Jesus. For His body that was given up for me. His blood that was shed for me. I trust that to cover these sins, to atone. I trust that I am forgiven only by Him. Now let's look at the empty promise and fatal payoff of sin. Fascinating how sin will oftentimes hold out a promise and will always fail to truly deliver on it. In fact, if you look at marketing in, in, in our day, there, there's a lot to learn about marketing from sin. <laughs> Amazing, right? Like you could write the book, Marketing 101, by just studying sin. Not if you're ethical, because there's no delivery. There's no lasting satisfaction. For the wages of sin. This is such a beautiful phrase that Paul helps us illustrate. It's the wages of sin is death. So he, he personifies sin once again. And, and the personification here that we have of sin is like a, a, a boss that you go to work for. He's standing over here. Remember, don't present yourselves or your members to sin. Here I am. Okay, here's sin again. He's an, employ, uh, an employer. You go to work for sin, you're going to die. That's what sin pays. The, the, the paycheck of sin is death. What is sin? Let's just build this out a little bit. I, I don't ever want to assume that we're all on the same page when it comes to this. It's falling short of the glory of God. Yes, but what does that mean? Here's what it means. This would not be a, a complete comprehensive view of it. There's transgression and trespass and all of these things, but here I think is the heart of what sin is. This isn't in your sermon notes. You'll, you have to write this in. Sin, I believe, is the failure to fear God, number one, to fear God. That is, let me build it out, to revere Him, to esteem Him for who He is as God, uh, to submit joyfully to Him. In, in, in our context here, that, that would be to the King, Jesus, to His commandments, and to obey Him with your whole heart. Nothing held back, right? So the fear of God leads to life. And... Sin is also a failure to treasure God, to treasure. This is affections and heart, the way you feel, the way you love, adore, prize, and pursue Him. Think about something you love a lot, a thing, not a person, a thing. What do you do with that thing that you love? Well, you look at it, and you care for it, and you talk to other people about it. You point it out. You prize it. The greatest treasure in the heart of the Christian is to be God and nothing else. Idolatry is any other thing or person that takes his place in your heart. Now, sin is manifested like bad fruit on a, on a tree. Feelings, thoughts, 
words, actions. That's how sin reveals itself. But sin is always rooted in the affections. It shows up because ultimately it's an errant belief. You're choosing to believe something that is upside down or backwards from what is right and true and beautiful and good. And then you love it in a way that you shouldn't. And then you do things that are wrong and sinful. So we need new minds to think rightly about what is true and real and good and beautiful. And God gives us new hearts to love and adore him and and fear him, right? And walk in his ways. And then fruit, that is what we're called to. To obey him, to live it out. I hope that can be a helpful way to think of all of the categories. Sin is so pervasive. It's not just things that, that you do or don't do. It's affections that you embrace and feed and protect. Sin is a death trap. I was struck by that. The wages of sin is death. It's a fascinating thing when you personify sin. I I got to thinking about this war that I've been waging in my backyard this year. I, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have had these yellow jacket, infestations i'm talking big honking nests and uh, I, I battled one nest for like what was it 10 days it, it was at the top of our house and i don't want to get stung right so i got the hose i've got cans of stuff I, I emptied a whole thing of soap on them and i had a lot of clean bees that's all i can say they didn't die they were squeaky clean and flying around trying to kill me so i resorted to a little more passive way of killing bees and uh, various traps. This one actually proved to be extremely ineffective, but I like, the, I like the idea of this, okay? Inside of this, you put the pheromone, the call. It's that, it's that thing when the bees smell it. They can't help but draw to it. So it draws them in, and they like the color, right? And so they smell it coming out of these little holes. And, and it's like sin is in there saying, hey, come have just a taste. Come on in. Come on in. Look, there's a lot of people around here. Don't miss out, right? And so in goes the bee, and he travels up. Oh, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. And then he gets a taste, and he realizes, I'm dead me. I can't get out. He's not alone. But in the end, all die. Who give themselves to sin. You want to die? Give yourself to sin. It is a death trap. A death trap. For all those who are really not liking that picture, I'm I'm moving forward now. Listen to the call of sin. Come be free. Come be free. Hey, church person, religious person, hey, you who grew up in the church, the quote-unquote Christian, come on. Or to the Christian, right? To the believer. Remember? Do you remember how much fun we used to have? Come on back. Come on back. Follow your heart. Live for the moment. Oh my goodness, all the movies. Gag me. I hate movies that say that. Oh, just follow your heart. It'll be great. It's never great when you do that. Use your brain. That's to the Christian too. Don't just follow your heart. 
God renews our minds and calls us to think and be wise. Be responsible later, sin says. When you grow up, then you can get serious about God. You got fun to have, right? There's, there's parties to attend. What happens here stays here. A very effective lie from Satan that has attached itself to locations, specifically Vegas. What a genius marketing strategy from the pits of hell. You can come here and you can do whatever you want and it's not going to follow you home. Do you hear that? That's satanic. If it makes you happy, can't be that bad, Cheryl Crow says. Well, why are you so sad? Isn't that interesting in that song? Why are you so sad? Don't miss out. Everyone's doing it. Come fit in. Don't be that guy, right? Don't be that girl. Don't, don't be the weird one that can't join in the party and have all the fun. Don't you want to be part of the group? How about this? Don't be on the wrong side of history. You Christians, you archaic, outdated, Jesus-thinking people, get with the times. Love is love. You'll be satisfied, sin says. You won't regret it. Lies. Death trap, that's what it is. It's a death trap. Don't go there. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. Men, young men, don't go near her house. For her door leads to the pits of hell. Don't go near the house of the adulterer. Don't pay attention to her call. Whatever form it comes. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. It'll never bring the life that it promises. The wages of sin. Let's talk about this. The wages. What does it mean that sin has wages? It pays in death. Well, the paycheck of death, uh, the, the paycheck of death and hell, that's what sin pays. It's not just death, not just physical death. Obviously, that's part of it. But that's like the, the, the easy first step of it. What really is the problem is what comes upon death, which is judgment. Sometimes personifying sin breaks things down a little bit. Let's, let's be really clear. No one dies but by the hand of God. Sin doesn't kill anybody. God does. In judgment. That, that's what brings death. Sometimes people get philosophical and they forget that God is the one who writes days, who gives breath, and who ends life. Judgment for sin is earned. That's one of the things this means. It's earned. It's, it's just. It's, it's right. It's righteous retribution. And, and it's everlasting. No one in the fires of hell can rightly say to God, this isn't fair. 
I didn't earn this. I don't deserve this. Not one person. Now they're down there and they're probably saying, I hate you. God, I hate you. I hate what is, what is true and, and right and just about this. But no one can say, this is not fair. You want fair from God? It's fire forever. That's fair. That's just. Every sinner deserves the judgment of God. J.I. Packer says it this way, God's wrath in the Bible is always judicial. That is, it is the judge, it is the wrath of a judge administering justice. Cruelty is always immoral. But the explicit presupposition of all that we find in the Bible on the torments of those who experience the fullness of God's wrath is that each receives precisely what he deserves. So are the degrees of punishment in hell? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because no sinner commits exactly the same sin from beginning to end. We store up wrath for specific offenses and sins. And God meets us with precise retribution, which is the just administration of wrath that fits the offense. Now, the location may be the same throughout eternity. But the torments of God's wrath are precise for the offenses committed against him. Remember, sin is not just here. Its greatest offense is vertical. It is against God, who is holy, holy, holy. No one in existence hates sin more than God. No one. And hell will be a forever display of that reality in its perfect justice. If you live for sin, there will be hell to pay. Hear me loud and clear. It doesn't matter if you listen to Praise 106.5 when you drove around the city. It doesn't matter if you had 45 Bibles in your library. It doesn't matter if you taught Sunday school. It doesn't matter how many of your family members are saved. If you give your heart to sin, you will perish in the fires of hell. Regardless of what you say you believe. Are we here? Are, 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 is that clear? Are we feeling that? We're not playing games. This is not religion. Not time card Christianity. This is serious stuff. What's the condition of your heart? Do you treasure and fear God this morning? Are you trusting Jesus? It is dangerously possible to play the game of religion and go to hell forever. And I fear, in, even in this county, there are many who run that race. Jesus himself will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment. Don't think annihilationism. This is not like, it hurts, it hurts, okay, good, it's over. No, this is fire forever. You ever burned yourself 
You feel that searing pain forever. But the righteous into eternal life. That is those righteous who are in Christ, trusting him with all their hearts. Revelation, why is it so important to study Revelation? Look at all the passages I'm cross-referencing. You need to know this book. This is gospel every day, friends. Another angel, a third, followed him, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or his hand, pause, just a word here. The vaccination is not the mark of the beast. Whew, okay. To receive the mark of the beast is to choose to reject Christ. It is a knowing, willful, I reject you, Christ, and I receive the mark of the beast under persecution or pressure or whatever it may be. I join the world, I turn my back on Jesus and put it on. 666, whatever it might be. Amazon chip, I don't know. You know fill in the blank. Someday. That pressure will be so overwhelming. And he will drink of the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the whole, don't miss this, in the presence, the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Lamb the lion of Judah. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast in its image and whoever receives the mark of its name, there will be countless who experience this forever. What is heaven? Heaven is the place where God is in all the ways you long for him to be. What is hell? Hell is the place where God is in all the ways you would rather him not be, but that are just and vengeful and wrathful and righteous. Even the Lamb. He, that is Jesus in Revelation 19, will come with fire in his eyes and a sword that comes out of his mouth and he will tread this is jesus the savior he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of god the almighty why will he do this sin are we feeling this because of sin if sin could be personified in that moment he would be laughing, laughing at all the fools who gave themselves fully to him. Mm. Satan loves to lie and to trap, to steal and kill and destroy. Sinners get what they have earned. Death is no arbitrary sentence but the inevitable consequence of their sin, of, of the sin of sinners. It's, it's the wage that is paid because of sin. God's justice, A.W. Tozer says, God's justice stands forever against the sinner in utter severity. 
the vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the consciences of millions. That is so true. The idea of hell itself, many have just written off completely. Oh, that's not a God who, who I could worship. I believe that God is love. God is kind and generous and benevolent. He would never eternally, consciously torment people in the fires of hell, would he? Well, according to God's word, the answer is yes, he, he will because he's just and righteous and holy as well as good and kind and gracious. He has given an opportunity for the, the gospel to be embraced. He's called out salvation. It will go to the ends of the earth. If you choose sin, you choose fire. The fire of God. It hushes their fears and allows them to practice all pleasant forms of iniquity while death draws every day nearer. You might be thinking, man, I know I was going to get hellfire and brimstone today. That's the Bible. That, that's not some preacher out of balance, friends. It's not some, some angry guy just yelling at you. This is the Bible. I'm simply just calling us to the passages of God's Word. Oh, how our culture wants to just choose to, to pull pages out of this book and ignore entire attributes of our great God. It is love that speaks of wrath and fire and fury, not anger. It's love that warns, repent. Repent. The king is coming. And he is, he is angry. He's riding on a white horse and he is going to make himself covered in the blood of sinners. He treads down the wrath and pours out the wine of the fury of God. He came the first time as a lamb. He will return as a lion with the sharpest teeth you could ever imagine. Now, against that backdrop of bad news, comes the beauty and the love and the benevolence of God's incomparable gift. This is the gospel in its fullness. It's good news. For the wages of sin is death. But, oh, if the story ended there, we would all be doomed. But the, 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 the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hmm. The gospel is referred to as good news, and there are times in history where we need to remind ourselves why. Why is it called good news? Well, because of all of the bad news that we should be keenly aware of. Number one, I am a sinner. Number two, I deserve the wrath of God. Right? I've chosen it. I've stored it up. And left to myself, I am hopelessly under His just condemnation. I can't save myself. I need good news. And God provides great news. Look at the points of contrast in this short little verse. The wages of sin. That's what you earn. That's what you do. That's what you store up. You want to work? Fire. That's what our work gets us. 
That's what our labors get us. Left to ourselves. It's just fire and judgment. But you want to be free and have life? Trust the work of Christ. It's finished. He, he finished the work. The work is done. It's the, such that he can call this gift of salvation free. It's a free gift. Not, don't ever think it wasn't costly. It is given freely to us, but it cost a precious price for God who gave his own son in place of me who deserved it. Eternal death versus eternal life. Think of this. Eternal death, the fires of hell, all that we've looked at there, in contrast with eternal, unending life. That's good news. <laughs> we, we don't deserve it, but we can receive it, freely so, and have it. Oh, so many right here in this room already have it. You woke up this morning breathing the air of freedom and life. You live in a way that death has no hold on you. I pray before the end of this day, all in this room would know that life. Every single person. God's free gift, it's not earned, it's undeserved, and that's one of the reasons why we sing. Right? The church is known for her singing. Why? Because it's amazing grace. It saved wretches like us. We don't deserve this. Mm, a song that's always been in me. I love that line. I just think, this is my song. Greater you. Greater you. To love me, the sinner. Who am I? The nobody. And you love me? Hmm. Eternal life now and forever. It's not just quantity, it's quality. It is the life that you know the moment you embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and King. It happens. So many of your stories I've heard as you come and join our church, I hear the testimonies of this life, of this change, of this joy, it's a satisfaction. All of the hunger you've longed for and tried to fill with all the things of the world, all of a sudden they just fall away and you're like, Jesus, He is the satisfaction of my soul. What is eternal life? For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have it. Have eternal life. Listen to the build out in John 17. Jesus says these words. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? That they know you, the only true God. Oh, how beautiful that is. It's not just that you will live forever. It's that you know God. That's the best thing about eternal. It's life. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The greatest gift that God can give is himself. And he gave it. And it is yours by faith today. Just trust him. Embrace the king. Bow before him. 
He's done all the work. You can know him today, and you can see him face to face when he returns or upon your death, and you can live with him as his happy servant and slave forever. That's the greatest imaginable existence. To have Jesus as your king. Now, in closing, the only Savior is to be the only Lord. I love how these words come together. Always the gospel is focused solely on Christ. So, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in, first of all, in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Well, listen to 1 John 5, 11 to 13. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. John says, listen, if you have the Son, you have life. But if you do not have the Son, you do not have life. I write these things, he says, to you who believe. He's writing to believers who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know Jesus as as Savior and Lord? You have life today. You have it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try to be good enough. You're trusting Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You have life. You have the water that wells up as a spring that will never run dry. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, King, Master. The boss man. General. Commander-in-chief. Oh, I long for the day when our king will rule in, in this place, on this earth. Can you imagine how awesome that's going to be? In righteousness. Everything he does will be exactly right. And we will rejoice every single time he does anything. And we will know We have a king who is worthy of all praise forever. We will witness what it's like to be under him. Today, you can do that. You can live that way today, even in the dark of Washington State. Is King Jesus on the throne of your heart? This is the most important question. I've got to ask it. Don't assume it. Don't assume that your long history in the church is the reason that you are okay. No, that is not the basis of your hope and trust that you are going to be experiencing eternal life. Jesus Christ is to be on the throne, ruling in your life. King of kings and Lord of lords. Response this morning. Are you living for the world? Have you given yourself to sin? I just ask you this question. Do you really want to cash that check? Think about it. With all that I've said here, with all that we've learned about the wages of sin, do do you want to cash the check of all of the wrath that you have stored up every single time you've sinned, every day, multiple times far more, let's be clear, far more than you even know? Do you want to cash that check? That's the check that you don't want to cash.
don't sign that check. Don't take that to the bank. If you're here today and Jesus is not your Savior, listen close. You're doomed apart from Him. You will go to hell. And I care too much about you to to not just call you right now. Trust Him. Repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus and be saved. The door is open today. Don't wait. How do you know how long your life will be? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to God. You can't earn it. You can't bow to some other person or or quote-unquote deity. They're all fake. They're all lies. They're all death traps. There's only one Savior. What do we do then, Pastor? What, how, do I, what do, what do I, how do I embrace Him? Listen to these words. They're so simple. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. We confess our sins. He's faithful and righteous and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's what you do. You come before Him. I would get down on my knees and bow before Him. You could do this in your bedroom. You could do this anywhere. Bow before King Jesus and acknowledge your sins. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. I I know it, and you, you know it. I confess this to you. And I would ask that you save me from my sins. Set me on the path of life. Be my Savior and my Lord forever. I'm yours. supernatural, the most wondrous supernatural thing you have ever imagined can happen in that moment. That's how God saves people. That's how he saves sinners. That's how he saved me. Don't let another day go by. Let's pray. Oh God, we are amazed that you would love us like this. We are in awe of this grace and mercy that you would show to us undeserving sinners. We have worked hard to to earn the wages of death and and, and judgment from you. That's what we deserve, not forgiveness in life. But, oh God, we thank you for what you have given us in the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ can be our Savior and our King. I pray even now, Lord, that you would stir in hearts, bring life, cause those who may be here in this room who have yet to bend their knee before you, cause them even now to surrender their lives totally to you and and confess their sins and depend upon you by faith, trust you as Savior and Lord. Bring salvation, O God. And for all of us here who have already done this, we delight in you, King Jesus, today. Thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your your obedience to the Father and your finished work on the cross. We love having you as our King. Root out any sin that we would have in our lives. Shine bright in us and, and chase away the dark. Make us righteous and holy more and more like you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen.